Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the Paramount Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza. It's game week here in Morgantown, West Virginia. That means after quite a wait, not only across many years, but across a very long offseason. Time for the backyard brawl back at Acrisure Stadium to get you ready, to get familiar with the participants and how they're going to move the ball and stop the other team welcoming in. Chris Anderson, Chris, business booming here. They get ready for kickoff. Um, I'm going to miss the offseason because it was wild here and around college football. But nothing quite like a regular season. And I'm reminded of that when trying to get ready for this one and a challenge that we'll discuss because who knows yeah, what to expect from these teams, which I don't know, as someone who's going to be covering it for the next couple of months, I do find that kind of exciting, if not frustrating at the beginning. But it does remind me that we're opening up a, a brand new thing here. I don't know what's inside. I was going to say, I know you've been on, I've seen, I've, I've seen and I've heard, uh, and I have as well, like doing stints with, uh, um, our, our friends over at Sirius XM on the Big 12 network, you know, they'll have us on, especially when West Virginia and Pitt are kind of leading off this big week here with this Thursday night game. And so many questions over the last week or so is are centered around what's this team like? What's the potential? What could the end record be? All that kind of stuff. And it's like, I don't know. Um, not that we don't know what this team is or who's on it or what they're trying to do it's just a matter of new transfers new faces uh you know guys that had success at other places but maybe they were smaller places uh now they're facing better talent playing on a bigger stage or maybe it's somebody like jt daniels who we know is good or has the potential to be good but has had injuries and some bad circumstances is this the opportunity when he finally breaks out those are questions we can't answer like and so it, it has made it like you said it, it that's a really good way of describing it. It, it's frustrating and kind of exciting at the same time yeah, if you think about it the one thing that hasn't been used to describe west virginia in, in, in far too long it's exciting right yeah probably brown's first year it was exciting because it was new i think maybe people had come to experienced a little bit of staleness maybe with the Holgerson regime because it was eight years and they kept kind of hitting their head at a certain point. You know, the ceiling was only so high, but you got a new guy and there's new potential. It never got where it was at the start. Various reasons. We get into that many times from the podcast, but this just feels like maybe especially because of the quarterback, but I do think that you've seen some people that you're just kind of waiting to get a chance or waiting to get into the right time and the place that's there right now for many people on offense and defense and maybe even special teams. The opponent in the first game, that's a really easy one to look forward to. The schedule is challenging, but I think what's maybe, I guess we'll say maybe like most revealing here at the end is you're going to know 
by the end of the season a lot that you've been wondering about or been waiting to have answered. And just because the schedule and the collective talent on, again, offense and defense and how plans have had time to settle in and evolve, there's really not going to be a lot of wait and see left. And, and I wonder if that's not even true, especially after this first game, because it's quite a challenge. Some of the things that West Virginia hopes to do well, it's going to have to do well to win this game. Some players who are going to have to play well, some some angles that we've talked about, for example, transfers, they're going to have to matter right away. Um, this is not an end-all, be-all in the game one, but I think, and I'll put this question to you, Chris, how many, how many blanks are filled in or, or how much are the blanks filled in, win or lose, based on what happens Thursday night? I think you'll have a pretty clear answer on a couple questions, such as how is the offensive line? Um, because this, they're going to be tested right away. Now, is it something, a situation where, you know, Pitt kind of gives them a hard time and then do you just assume they're bad? No. But if, if this West Virginia offensive line can hold up against a defensive line that's as good as Pitt's, then that's a good sign for the rest of the year. If JT Daniels goes out there and starts slinging around, again, on a defense that's pretty darn good, that can be good in Pitt, and does it on the big stage, under the bright lights, on primetime, on ESPN, in the season opener of a of a rivalry, that's a good sign. Um, now, you start looking at other other smaller questions, like how is the secondary going to fill out? I, that that could be tough, because how are those guys going to adapt so quickly? Because there still seems to be some potential movement on the back end of that, uh, the back end of that defense. Guys could be moving around, so I think that could change. But I think you could get a pretty clear answer, at least offensively, about some things with the offensive line and the quarterback and maybe the offensive play calling as a whole. Okay, you've unwrapped a lot there. Not so fast, Chris. <laughs> Let's start depth chart. We've been waiting for that for, I would say, in excess of a week. I also think that if you had sat down a week ago and if you were upset because you didn't have a depth chart, you could sit down and draw your own. It was going to look pretty similar, if not identical, to what we got um, on Monday afternoon at Neil Brown's press conference. By the way, it was being handed out right as he was beginning to talk. So they played this one right down to the wire, right? Yep. Good for them. Gamesmanship aplenty. Um, however, JT Daniels is your starter. There's some oars at tight end, right tackle in the secondary. Again, position battles that were ongoing are still ongoing. I really don't think maybe one was... I don't think one was actually ended without an or except quarterback. And interestingly, the depth chart had all four with an or, so that was cool. But not a lot of surprises there. And I think the one thing is that whether it's, for example, Davis Mallinger or Desir Cox at Spear that starts, they're both going to play. And then Cox is going to be probably a little bit more valuable in some days because he can flex around and do stuff against the run game and the pass game. Mallinger may be more suited to do stuff near the line of scrimmage for the run. So maybe that's more of a game for him Thursday. We'll see. I don't know. But moving along the backfield defensively, could it be one corner or the other? Could it be a transfer from JMU or a transfer from Colorado State? They're both going to play. So we'll have an answer as to how much or who's first. But correct me if I'm wrong, nothing really riveting about that depth chart. No, not really. Uh, yeah, like I said, going through it, there's just nothing to yeah, whatever about. Um I think I put it on the board. The thing that was most most interesting to me was the, and again, this wasn't even surprising, but uh, when Brown was was doing his spiel about 
eh, who cares about starters? It's about who's going to play. We know who's going to play. Just we don't know who's going to be out there for the first snap or whatever. Um, and he mentioned, for instance, running back, and and said again, said three guys will play. There were two guys on the depth chart. Somebody followed up. Kudos to whoever that was. I can't remember who it was. And um, he said instead of Jalen Anderson, said C.J. Donaldson. Again, not surprising because Donaldson has kind of been the talk of the the fall camp, but. That was the most interesting thing to me. Again, is it's kind of confirming, hey, this is this is happening. This is real. And I think you and I talked about it either on the po- last podcast or the one before that about how, you know, is this going to be a hey, he's playing all the time, all this other stuff. No, I think it's probably going to be like a package deal. They got a package. They got a handful of plays. But it does tell me that that he's in there. He's in the mix. You will see C.J. Donaldson play on Thursday night. Where, when, and how, I have no idea, but I do want to see yeah. that, too. That'll be interesting to me. Offensively, too, and tell me what you think of this. Preston Fox was Bryce Ford Wheaton's very visible, very successful backup in the spring. He's an inside receiver now. And then Jeremiah Aaron, I don't know that he came in with a position, but he has played inside and outside. He just profiles as a slot receiver because he looks like a running back. He's probably 5'10", 185 pounds, and, like, is pretty stout from the hips down. So he's definitely got some wiggle and some jets. They have him outside behind Caden Prather. Those two could probably play different positions, I think. But an outside guy is now inside, and a presumably inside guy is not outside. What do you make of, of those um, assignments there? Because, again, we're, we're kind of grasping here, which is not bad news. It's okay if things go as expected. But those two stand out to me because that is a little bit different than what we had expected or even witnessed. Yeah, that it, I don't know what to make of the the wide receiver, you know, positions there. I think outside of hey, Bryce Ford Wheaton's going to be your outside receiver on the left hand side, and he's going to go deep a lot. Like I think that's pretty okay. Got it. Everything else outside of that, I think there's some some flexibility, some versatility there. Because what did Preston Fox do well all spring long, all fa- fall camp long? Caught the ball, he did, Chris. He caught the ball, and he caught the ball running those similar routes as Bryce Ford Wheaton, running those those deep routes, running the goes, running the um the the hooks and and the comebacks, the comeback uh toward the towards the sideline. I don't know why I'm I'm blanking on what that's called, but those were his plays, like the back shoulder towards the sideline. And so then all of a sudden he's at inside receiver. Like I don't recall seeing him there hardly at all. So I I don't know what to think of that. Um Aaron again you said inside, outside, maybe more inside. Uh, also was green jersey uh, um, for a portion of fall camp, meaning no contact. So how much are we going to see either of those? So does it matter? I'm not sure. But I think there's some versatility and some some fluid fluidity to the other receiver positions outside of Bryce Fort Wheaton. I just feel like Fox is a guy that you want to be near the quarterback, you know, second and 12, third and three, something like that, it helps. And then if you're going to stretch the field and go vertical like this offense is, you're going to have to have somebody inside who can do that. And he he was able to do that. I don't think he profiles as a burner, but he got open and he caught balls. But also, if you're going to go vertical, you might have to sub those guys out. And if, if Aaron can run, he can spell Prather every so often too. So those, those kind of make some sense to me. Um, I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but I'll just, I'll just kind of ask. Offensive line? question mark yeah 
again, no, surpri- no surprises, but no resolution. And I think that, listen, we, we can laugh and poke fun at whatever chicanery there was at quarterback. I think I can understand, perhaps even endorse, being a little cagey about your offensive line, especially if you are going to do something different. I'm okay with that. I I think I posted on the, the board right afterwards. One of the very first things I got was a message. I don't even think Neil Brown was done talking yet when I got a message that said, pay no attention to the offensive line depth chart. And I think the point was there's going to be some movement. And it, it's not that Neil Brown hasn't even like admitted it to. I mean, he said openly, we got seven offensive linemen and we're going to play. And that was all he felt comfortable saying about the offensive line. Because we have heard differently. We have heard and seen um, guys playing different spots on that offensive line. I mean, there's the the scrimmages, and we've had it for our VIP members that were posted on the board. I won't repeat it here since we don't want anybody to get in trouble. But that was uh, not the offensive line that was out there with the first team during some of the scrimmages. The one listed on that, it was not. And, And I've heard that's not the only time it has not been. And it wasn't. Even the same offensive line that was for the scrimmage was a different offensive line. So it's not anything wild. It's not anything wild. It's not anything we haven't talked about. I think I put my my projected depth chart, what I think it's going to be eventually, and even said in that projected depth chart. You're going to get a depth chart from the school that says Hubbard or Yates at right tackle, but I expect at some point, maybe not week one, maybe it's week two, maybe it's in the middle of week one, that you're going to see some differences at right tackle, maybe right guard, just kind of trying to figure out what the best combination is for that offensive line. I just, I'm really curious to see what they start with. And not only if they make a change, but like when they go to it and what causes it. Is it third series? Is it we're getting Cajun on the right side? Is it proactive, reactive? I don't know. But I, I do expect Nestor to play some tackle. I just do. And then. I don't I don't know what you do with those tackles. Like is like Hubbard looks like he might be a guard. He's just a big dude who's long and, and thick and heavy down low. And maybe he can lean on people at guard, but I haven't heard about him playing guard. Um Yates, they 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 play the guard, like we saw it. So that's a possibility for him. Um I'm very curious to see what they do. It just seems like they have a lot of people who could play guard and their best tackle might be a guard, right? Yep. So why not lean into that? Why not use your depth at guard to help you at tackle? So I'm I'm curious. I don't know when it'll happen. And let's be honest, not the best opponent to be going out there and trying to work in the lab against, too. So that's going to be tough. And I'm sure that there are going to be giant fluorescent arrows flashing over the right tackle during that game because it, there's no secret. That's the, that's the pressure point that you can really squeeze and maybe do some damage to their offensive plans. So you might want to anticipate that. Can they get help from their tight end over there? I don't know. We'll see. Have not heard great things about what's going on at tight end. I know it's probably great news to have Michael Lockman back, but the depth there, how many snaps they can give him, their performance, I think that's a question mark they're going to have to answer, and probably they're going to be made to answer. And what does that do to their formations? Because it's a lot easier to pass if you have a tight end who can block. Um, you might need that help in pass protection, so that that could be a curious, um, a curious development to keep an eye on there, too. Defensively, just big. They're big. Their defensive line is big, and, and they're going to be playing a veteran offensive line um, that Pitt has. It's going to be hard to move those guys that they have um, fast, long in the secondary, and, and guys in places that we thought they were going to be. Again, not a lot of surprises, but that's not a bad thing, too. And I think what strikes me is if you look at 
Look at their depth chart. One freshman, and it's a redshirt freshman, and all their transfers, whether they came in in the spring semester or in the summer, all their transfers, with two exceptions, are in the two deep. Uh, no Lynn J. Dixon because he's gone, and no Jalen Shelton because he's probably a year away, and that's understood, um, probably at the very beginning. But everybody else who enrolled is a starter or a backup, um, most notably on defense. A couple receivers from junior college on the offensive side, but they needed contributors from the portal or from junior college on defense, and they got them. Starters, backups, secondary, linebacker, whatever. Um, but from nose guard to safety, they have reserves or starters that they acquired that had to click. And at the very least, they're in position right now. It's the most they can ask for right now. But for, for a program that doesn't have a great history of hitting on transfers, that's a pretty good start, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and man, it, I was going through the reasons WV will win big and the reasons WV will fall, fall flat pieces that I was doing the other day. And it kind of went over the transfers in and transfers out. And if you have a little bit of uh, gold and blue shaded glasses, it doesn't even have to be that tinted. Just a little bit, just a hint of gold and blue on your on your shades there. You look at it, and and is West Virginia better off in the secondary? I mean, it, we heard it. We heard Jordan Leslie say this defense is deeper and more talented this year than he's had, which I was kind of stunned to see him stay just so bluntly. But you look at some of those guys coming in, coming out, and uh, and I'm focusing on the secondary right now, but I, I kind of did a breakdown, and it was, you know, Nick Troy Fortune out, Wesley McCormick in. Would you rather have three years of fortune or one year of McCormick? Maybe three years of fortune, but if you're talking just 2022, McCormick has a higher potential than fortune. You look at the other spot. Um, you got Daryl Porter out. You got Rashad Ajayi coming in. Again, would you rather have Daryl Porter for three years? Probably. But would you rather have Rashad Ajayi for just 2022? Maybe. I mean, he's got 2,000 snaps of experience. He's a he's he's more of a veteran. He's got more experience. He might be able to handle a little better because we saw Porter be great last year at times. And we saw him be pretty bad last year at times, which is to be expected when you're such a young corner. So maybe you're OK. Like you swap those two for two. I think you're better off if you're West Virginia than you were for this season. Again, you're talking franchise style. Maybe you want the other two guys. And keep going down the line like that with some of these transfers. And, and again, in the secondary, you're like, well, maybe it's not that bad. And then you remember – Last year's safeties, as experienced as they were, they were considerably, like not even up for discussion. It's not even close, considerably worse in 2021 than they were in 2020. Like Alonzo Adai and Sean Mahone were good in 2020, like real good, really good. And they were bad in 2021. So it, it, it's not like, again, you're losing three, three veterans when you're looking at the two safety spots and Spear, Spear being most for most of the time Scotty Young. That, that's three veterans gone, but three guys who by basically every measure had, a, had a, a pretty down year in 2021. So it's not like you're losing three great experiences or great performances from last year and trying to replace them. It, you're kind of just trying to make it decent again. Makes sense. Yep. At starting point, again, that's all you can ask for, and they've got themselves in that position. That's good, too. Let's um let's get into the matchup here and put the big asterisk out front. A lot of times when we do these episodes here, we, we dig in, we roll up our sleeves, we look at past performances, matchups, 
what happened a week ago, three weeks ago. Pro Football Focus is our friend. We've mentioned uh, frustrating but exciting. That extends to this because, for example, you want to study the pit offense and what West Virginia's defense can expect. I mean, unless you're going to go watch Mark Whipple in Nebraska from the other day and project that to this, and I would not recommend anybody does that, um, not too useful. Are you going to go check out Keaton Slovis from USC and just plug that into the pit offense? Probably not. Do you go look at Boston College because uh, Frank Sinandi is over now as the offensive coordinator at Pitt? Maybe not. It's it's going to be a mixed bag of a new offensive coordinator, um, new quarterback, a couple of new receivers, including one that I, I did not even realize was there that is kind of an X factor we can talk about. Um, I don't know what you expect or predict here, but I guess we can just talk about this. It's going to begin at their foundation. That's their offensive line. Five starters back, a preseason All-American. They also have a good tight end as a returning starter. Uh, yeah, no Kenny Pickett, no Jordan Addison, no Mark Whipple. That might all be tied together, but they do have the foundation back. That offensive line can help them in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm looking at this offensive line for for Pitt. I'm looking at their depth chart again. Like you said, all five starters back. And I I think this plus sign means like sixth year guy, you know, guy mm-hmm. that took a COVID year as well. Um, going from left to right, senior plus. Senior plus, senior plus, senior, senior plus. Yeah. That's what that's Pitt's five starting offensive linemen. Five seniors, five returners, some of them in their sixth year. That's to you're in a good spot when you get that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It makes your quarterback's transition easier. Like that, you talk about the timing and the rapport that's needed with your receivers, and that's absolutely true. But, man, it's really good to know your offensive line. That's going to take time. But if those guys can just take care of it and you don't have to worry about that, you're going to get tuned up eventually. It helps an awful lot to do that, too. They do have their running back back. Um, They kind of went committee. It looked like they're out camping. Who is it going to be? But, again, a pretty pass-happy offense last year, understandably because of who they had throwing it and who they could throw to. But through it all, um, they did manage to run the ball. I don't know. I would say adequately. Again, not not a necessity for them. But at the end of the season, 
over 2,000 yards rushing, almost four yards to carry, 26 touchdowns. They scored a lot of points, um, 600, 600, 500 yards rushing. But uh, Israel, Abanaconda is back. He is emerged very as a nice. starter. What's that? I said very nice. Oh, nice yeah, job. I'm working. Hey, preseason for me too. But listen, uh, 651 yards, over five a carry, seven touchdowns last year. Only got nine carries a game, but was kind of explosive at times. He's their guy, and I, I just look at his numbers and what he did last year. Loves to get around the corner. So that's going to be something where those edge players for West Virginia could be the defensive tackle, the defensive end. You're going to have to work against a tight end, maybe a slot receiver, because a Banaconda <clears throat> likes to get outside, too. you got to watch out for what happens if he cuts it back, because you learn that. But they do like to stretch things out there. He was good at that. They can do a lot in the running game, too, but that seems like a familiar thing with him. Um, and look, if you're West Virginia's defense, your spear, your bandit, they're going to have to fan out and make plays. How many times we see Koba come over top to scrape around the offensive line and make a tackle? Good challenge for him because he is going to get stretched out early on here. And and you mentioned it. I was trying to go back and say, hey, all right, you know, new quarterback, all that stuff, but new offense coordinator, more importantly. Let me go see what Frank Sinetti did at Boston College. And even with with looking at the coach and the same offense, his 2020 year and the 2021, you compare them as far as splits, offense, defense, or, uh, passing, and rushing. In 2020, they ran the ball 62% of the time at Boston College. So I thought, oh, this is a run-heavy offense. I go look at 2021. They ran the ball 48% of the time. It is now flipped to passings oh well they must have changed quarterbacks nope same two quarterbacks same uh, not the same exact situation but same two quarterbacks but splitting time between throughout the year um so I, I i'm not a boston college expert here so i don't know exactly what changed but you're trying to find trends i don't know if you can find one trying to follow frank sinetti and his time at boston college which is the most recent stop quarterback got hurt last year um Jerkovic. yeah and missed a couple games, and they were miserable passing the ball. Um, and they somehow scratched out a thousand-yard rusher, a guy from uh, Steve Slayton's high school, who's like five seven and, and two hundred pounds, and, and just made it work. But he was—I think he was like a top guy in Pennsylvania. He was not Steve Slayton. Like they're totally different bodies, but made it work. But what strikes me about Signetti, so much NFL experience. And what do they do in the NFL? Don't value running backs. You got the—I mean, the prime position, quarterback. He's a quarterback coach in the NFL. I just kind of figured that he would be leaning toward quarterbacks, but no, moved toward the run last year. And then he's at Pitt. And again, <laughs> Narduzzi famously in the offseason was on a podcast and said, our old offense coordinator didn't even want to run the ball. Yeah. We played Wake Forest, which had like the worst rush defense in the country, and we passed it every down. Like, so he definitely wants to run the ball, um, which is going to be what Signetti does. And and listen, they have, they have their top three running backs left. Um, the one guy is obviously going to start it and get a lot of carries, but – the three guys who carried the ball last year are all back for them, too. So I, I think they're going to lean on people early on and, and really kind of attack that defensive line there, too. And um, kind of inside out, watch out for cutbacks, things like that. But they're going to they're going to use their offensive line. They're going to lean on people and stretch out and try to find gaps for somebody. And they're going to be good at it, too. So um, we'll see how much of the Signetti playbook makes it. But I, I think that the, at least the the nudge and the wink is going to be you better run the ball. Uh, first. I, I flipped those. 2021 was the, uh, as you noted, quarterback got hurt, and and it was 30 or er, 62% run in yeah. 2021, not 2020. Um, but 
Yeah, that pick game, by the way, against Wake, where uh, Narduzzi was complaining about not running the ball, they actually ran the ball more than they did throwing the ball, Um, (laughs) although a couple of those were sacks. uh, So I guess maybe it's about even, about 50-50 on that one. Um, And scored 45 points. So maybe, just maybe, you back up and let the offensive coordinator do what he's doing. If an offensive coordinator is scoring 45 points in a conference championship game step back and let him do his own thing it's okay yeah. it's, it's not bad yeah. um receiver no addison nope that might not be a problem it was was the guy mumpfield is that who's who you were t- you're talking about alluding he's, to earlier he's definitely there and he's he's kind of an x-factor i don't know where they're going to put him and that might be fine too but they also have bub means who was um who's big like he's probably 6'3 220 pounds can return kicks he started off at tennessee and then went to louisiana tech and so he's bounced around a little bit but he emerged as a starter at a camp like i i, I did not know he was there until i was sketching up on pit and saw that he had you know, had a good camp and was there but that's a big guy that's going to be a problem i don't know if they use him in special teams but like a guy who's that big and, and can return kicks he's got some jets he's got some moves um and and West Virginia's defense, they they talked a lot about playing like nickel or dime coverage and having an extra defensive back in the field. You put those guys together right now. You have Mumfield, excuse me, um, and you have Means, but they're also bringing back Jerry Wayne too as a receiver, and he was very good last year. Kind of in the shadow of Addison, of course, best receiver in the country, but uh, a guy who knows what he's going to do out there too. And then like, listen, you're looking at six three Wayne. Six two means they're tight end is six five, and he can run around and do some things too. I'm guessing Kanata Mumpio may be playing some slot. Um, probably Wayne had the most slot action last year. I don't know who's going to be their slot. They have wide receiver listed for the three positions, but those three are going to be on the field. I would guess quite a bit. And and I'm I'm again, how do you match up? What does that do to the defense? Can they play different positions? I don't know, but um, Mumpio is kind of an underrated guy. Like you said, he played at a Mac school. Akron had an offense that could really do some things, move the ball, score some points. And we'll see what Slavis can do. I don't know, but there certainly is potential for play action deep shots or, you know, kind of running it and running it and kind of a maybe tipping that you're going to run it or get the defense thinking about it. And all of a sudden something happens and, you know, it's Mumfield, it's Wayne, it's Means, it's somebody who's open there too. Got to be careful. I don't, just because they don't have Addison, I don't think that their receiver position is, is hurting right now. They're going to have people who are good. And sometimes it's better to have one guy who's an alpha. We talked about that. Um, if you have three guys and there's not one clear front runner, not a bad thing either because you kind of have to be a little bit more honest and when you're going to run the ball as much as Pitt, those things can kind of work back and forth and help you out. Yeah, what about the uh, other side of the ball, Mike? Pretty good, Chris. <laughs> yeah, this is not bad. I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to jump to that, but that's that's kind of where I've been focusing on. Um, and it that because that defensive front, I think this is the biggest, this is the key. Now, you know, we'll uh, I'll do my usual three keys to the game and go over that. But I can tell you, sneak preview, mm-hmm. this is going to be number one. And I, I, if you want to say it's something else, I'm ready to argue about it because it, it it's not. It's this. Yeah. It's the pit defensive line against West Virginia's offensive line because as I've had, and I'll find that chart. I will find it about how directly correlated it was. Uh, an opposing team's ability to rush the passer, not specifically against West Virginia, just how they did it rushing the passer for the whole season. Their average pressures per game, as that went up, West Virginia's yards per play went down. 
There were zero exceptions. It was a perfect line in that graph. And you know who was one of the best in the entire country at that last year? Hmm. Pitt. Hmm. Pittsburgh Panthers. One of the very best. I believe they were number two in the country in sacks per game, almost four per game. Um, and you think, ah, oh, well, at least maybe those guys are gone. They ain't. They are not gone. Um, Baldonado led the team with 48 ta- uh, pressures last year. He's back. Cansey, uh, who received some All-American buzz last year, was second on the team with 38. He's back. Alexandre, Alexander, 21 pressures. He's back. So this is a defense that was extremely good at getting to the quarterback last year. A lot of their top talent is back. The defensive coordinator's back. It's a problem. They've had great continuity on defense. Yeah. Like their staff, their their players, things like that too. Like they're now you just let them go out and play. Like you know what you've already done and, and just work on what they've done. They I, I wonder how great they're gonna be in the first game because they they should be very good too. Um can I do the uh the class thing again? Pitt's defensive line, senior, senior, junior, senior plus. And, and I mean it kind of extends out to the entire defense because you go linebackers, junior, senior, senior. Uh, defensive backfield. This is, again, off of Pitt's uh, release depth chart from yesterday. Uh, junior, senior, senior, senior. So what is that? Eight seniors and three juniors? You're good. On the defensive line or on the defensive side of the ball? That's that's amazing. Like, you talk about building, program building, and building up to a point. That's amazing. Just literally all seniors and juniors, I think, every every single player in the starting 22 Except for, you know, Mumfield, the transfer he just brought over in the tight end. So 20 out of 22. Above means, too, I guess, is technically a sophomore because he redshirted one year while he's transferring. Um, 19 out of 22, seniors and juniors. Pretty darn good. Yeah, that's good. And they're going to they're gonna play a lot in the defensive line, too, because they can. But they're going to go hard, and they're going to bring guys in. And I mentioned that because you went through the classes for their starters. Look at the classes for their backups. Mm-hmm. Junior, senior, senior, senior. Like, they're going to be old veteran players there they're big they're, i mean one thing i noticed too is they don't have a lot of 300 pounders their, their defensive tackles are 300 they're backups but like they they're all like 6'3 275 6'3 265 something like that so i mean similar it's a thing there like they've been there for a while they've grown into the positions literally they they have a good thing that works there too um baldonado is very good like he's one i love a defensive end who wears 87 as a number that just, <laughs> that just feels right but like he looks apart he can play he's going to be a handful for for a tackle out there for sure but watch our middle linebacker service a dennis when you have that much attention on the defensive line and i don't know maybe you're staying with a running back and chipping maybe you're doubling a guy inside i don't know but that that's going to create room for that middle linebacker to make plays uh 10 tackles for a loss last year got in the backfield a bunch does he blitz? Does he have to? That's not his job, but ended up with four sacks as well. He can make some plays when they're there for them, too. And if you give too much attention to that defensive line, which with Baldonado and, and Cansey, that's, I think, 16 sacks between them last year. Reputation will be higher this year. We'll see what they can do. But there's something dangerous about a team that isn't going to try to surprise you, that you know the person on what they're going to do, and they're just going to do it very well. Um, and that's going to be a challenge that they're going to have to rise to. I will transition to this, and we can begin to wrap up. Pretty bad pass defense last year. That was that was where I'm, I was going to go to. Uh, and real quick before we get there, because you actually reminded me, uh, it, I, I listed off three. I said, oh, look, these three guys are the pressures. Actually, 
all five of their top guys on pressures are back because one of them was uh, Dennis, who yep. was li- is listed as a ba- or, uh, not Dennis. Uh, yeah, one of them is Dennis, who's listed as a linebacker. Um, so I kind of looked over him, and then the other was Morgan, who is listed as a backup defensive end. So I was kind of just looking at the starters on the defensive line when looking at these pressures, but the five guys with 21 or more pressures, 21 or more, their top five guys, all back. And what are they going to have to do? Something different? No. <laughs> yeah. Why? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right on the uh, on the pass defense, 114th in the country in pass defense last year. Uh, some of that, you know, remember there there is some nuance to all of this. Um, that that 114th out of 130 teams sounds horrendous, but keep in mind that Pitt was a good team, and oftentimes when you are a good team, you get uh, leads on teams, and the opposing team is going to throw the ball yes. more than they would in other games. So there's there's a little bit of uh, wiggle room there, but it, it's hard to just completely kind of brush off and forget 114th out of 130 teams in pass defense last year. Mm-hmm. Well, you say that. Uh, but you're first, brushing it off. First half of games last year, okay. opponents completed 62% of their passes, 1,984 yards, 15 touchdowns, eight interceptions, um, 18 pass plays of 25 yards or more. Um, for the year, they gave up 34 pass plays of 25 yards or more, 26 touchdowns, and 3,700 yards. A lot of the damage in the first half last year. Which makes oh, me you think, set you set me up on this. I see what you did, Mike. Well, I, I, I listen. I was I was of the same mind. It's like, well, of course, like you know, they had a good run defense, yeah. you know, and maybe you know you want to try to establish things with the run and, and draw the game out, but maybe you don't want to get into a shootout with Pitt and you're trying to throw it though too. So there could be both sides. It's like if you like if you're going to get into a gunslinger with Pitt last year, you might lose. So do you try to like run the ball early on, or do you say, you know what, we can't avoid it. We're going to have to throw the ball early. I don't know. Can't say I'm watching up Pitt, but their defense, whether. One tactic or another employed by the offense it wasn't very good in the first half. And then if you look at like who they played against and, and their opponents and things like that, that kind of matter, you know, that's tricky too. But when, when they were winning by a lot of points last year, let's say, here we go, 15 plus points, 124 passes. That's a lot. That's about a quarter of their passes. Um, games were tied or they were losing about 150 passes. So it just seems like teams tried to pass on them because they probably could. Like there's not like a great tell in the situational stats here. The one thing I noticed was that the first half, teams were successful because they probably realized they could. Now, maybe Pitt got away in the first half of some games. Don't know. We'll see. And again, how valuable are these numbers from last year? I think that there is some value because there's so much continuity on defense. Again, they've made one staff change the last couple of years. They had the entire defensive staff back this year. Uh, So many starters and backups back. I think that there is some transferable quality to what you saw from their past defense. And again, they have three of their four starters back in the secondary and their secondary had problems last year, not because of pass rush, as we mentioned, uh, how much of it is just, you know, X and O stuff. How much of it is very good players on the other side. Don't know. Could those returning players be better? Sure. I'm also curious who's going to play slot for them. Like who's going to be their nickelback. Is it going to be like one of their starters in that spot? Because I think you're going to see a lot of Sam James and, I, I just think that West Virginia is going to try to put four receivers out and hold up, I guess, with the five offensive linemen and maybe a running back helping out. I'm not sure how much you'll see a tight end. I think they can try to be, you know, 10 personnel and try to do stuff and try to make things happen. Use formation. Maybe start with two running backs and slide one out so you get from 20 personnel to 10. We'll see. Don't know. But I think you're going to see a lot of quick stuff 
And that slot is nearest. And I wonder who's going to be the corner back for Pitt who plays the slot because looking at their PFF stats from last year, they don't have a returning nickel guy or a slot guy, like not a clear cut one. They have some people who played some snaps there, but mostly everybody they have back. Um, those are outside guys. And not to neglect the third side of the ball, but it was one other thing I thought of when I was uh, I was talking to our, our pit site and doing a little preview piece with him uh, that we'll have up on the site uh, probably tomorrow. But he asked me, you know, what was the key for West Virginia? A couple things. And I mentioned uh, some of the stuff we've talked about here already. But uh, you you can't for, for West Virginia to win this game. You know, I thought the, the trenches are going to be obviously important because um, that's going to be the biggest battle on both sides of the ball. But you also can't blow opportunities because you know, there's been a lot of talk this preseason about changing things up, trying to get a different result than last year's season opener against a rival, a power five rival in Maryland. And in that game, I think the turning point now, West Virginia didn't lose the lead, but it, it just killed the momentum. There was that stretch where West Virginia was up 21 to 17. The defense got a huge sack on fourth down. They got the ball back on the very next play. Jared Diggy threw what I called then and still believe now oh. one of the worst interceptions I've ever seen thrown. Like it just the decision making the whole start to fit, finish just the worst interception I've ever seen thrown. Defense held their own. Forced a punt. West Virginia fumbles the punt return. Maryland gets the ball in West Virginia territory. Like the, the, those opportunities, West Virginia got not just one, but two. And didn't just not capitalize. They failed spectacularly and flipped the momentum. Like, no, 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 no. We insist. We can't have the momentum. Please take it back. Can't do that. I mean, you can't do that in any game. You do that in the season opener. On the road, at pit, it's over. It's over you have to capitalize on those situations i believe i had this right um and if not someone will uh, correct me but i'm pretty sure i'm right the first interception which i believe was a pass to tj banks right was diggy's first interception at at wvu when trailing and he played a lot the year before and they were not great so they trailed a lot the year before um the one in the end zone at the end of the game was his only career interception in the red zone and they came in the same game, which that game went bad. I don't think that Maryland is near was nearly as good as Pitt is. I'm not sure how Pitt is going to do this year, but I know they got a 17 next to their name and a whole lot of reasons to feel good about themselves. By the way, can I just say Keaton Slovis? We haven't even said his name yet, right? Yeah. Probably feel like we should mention that. But anyways, as we wind down, we get to the starting quarterback of the other team. Perfect. But conspired against him at the worst possible time. They lost that game. And that kind of leads me to this here, too. So many people from that game are back. And so many of the changes are engineered toward being better at the start of the season. That could be Neil Brown backing off and not only hiring an offensive coordinator, but letting him run it with his quarterback. It could be having people who went through last season or been through a few openers and just need to be more mature to feel the punt, to, I don't know, not throw the regrettable pass, to not get a penalty in a bad spot, things like that. And it's a challenge right away because – Ugly stat here. Brown has not beaten an FBS team in an opener. 0-4. Maryland, Maryland, Boise State twice, NC State. His wins and openers are against FCS teams. Um, and that is definitely part of his advocacy this offseason about trying to be different 
and trying to change things and trying to work lighter so they're peaking at the right time. Are they peaking at the right time? We'll see. I've heard okay things about scrimmages and the mood and all that stuff, but listen, Pitt doesn't care because Pitt knows what they have to do. Pitt is the mature team. Pitt's a team that, ha- that won a championship last year and brings a ton of people back, and they didn't, they know it worked, and they're not going to mess around with changing things around and trying to see if it works. They know it works. So this will be a, ch- a test for West Virginia's maturity and also, you know, They've done the part where they got out of the ditch. You know, they got themselves in trouble last year at times. You know, now they've maybe repositioned. Got to do something with it. Got to do something with it. So that's going to be really the the first and maybe biggest challenger. I think is that you know one of these teams is probably going to goof up and do something wrong. They they both want this game so bad because it's an opener. It's a high profile game, and all the coaches that spoke to us yesterday at West Virginia kind of said that. You make a mistake when you try to do too much and you try to do something special here that you shouldn't. When you try to do something that you don't know you can do or if you're supposed to do, that's when you make the mistake. And that brings me back to the, like, just, you know, they always say this is very cliche. Do the one eleven, do your job, the one thing you're supposed to do. Well, that's kind of boring, but that could be really valuable here because one side clearly defined knows what to do and knows it works. And that's going to be pit. West Virginia is still kind of in that fact finding mission. Has an idea what it wants to do. Can it stick to the script? We'll see. Will the script work? We'll see. Um, again, frustrating. Also kind of fun. We'll see. Looking forward to Thursday night. Ready to get this season started. Let's wrap it up. Highly anticipated conclusion here, Chris. People ask me all the time, hey, where'd you go with that great idea? I'm like, oh, which one? And they tell me this. We get together sometime probably around midnight Thursday night, Chris. Yep. Who or what are we talking about? What is the angle? Who is the person how do we start the conversation explaining a win or a loss by West Virginia at what was formerly known as Heinz Field? I mean, it, it has to be Daniels, right? No matter what. Can't imagine it's not. Yeah, it's either Daniel. It, it's Daniels. And then if we if we go, hey, of course it's Daniels, we'll circle back. Then it's the offensive line, one way or the other. Because either, either we're talking about how the offensive line has figured it out and they found their five. And they just shut down one of the best defensive lines in all of college football, giving this offense time to to cook and score some points. Or we're talking about how this is the third year, fourth year in a row, really fourth year in a row that the offensive line has struggled. And now there are bigger problems to be concerned about. I don't have much to add there, especially all the talks about Daniels as a passer in the deep ball. I think they're going to throw the ball an awful lot. I have many reasons that I can explain the rest of the week. Watch out for the fresh set. First thing Thursday morning, I have some intel there I'll share, but I do think that they're going to try to pass the ball a lot here. I think it's going to be quick stuff, but maybe with the idea to open things up and go deep. Um, they have some field stretchers. They certainly have incentive to aim at the pit secondary, and they have some incentive to stay away from the pass rush, so that would be good. I just wonder if they can run the ball very much. Um, yeah, offensive line slash Daniels, I don't know how that's not part of a failure or a triumph, um, I guess my answer then would be just the status of the ideas that they've talked about. They've tried so many different things offensively and defensively just to try to get the picture right, and we've heard and seen a lot of them, um, personnel, packages, whatever. I wonder how many they get in the field and what the results were, and then did they lean into them too much? Did they get away from them too early? We'll see. Uh, that's a broad topic, I know, but that's something that we can certainly unpack once the game is over. I will be there at Heinz Field. Chris will be in the headquarters holding it down as always we will talk sometime after the game can't wait to get it going until then i'm mike casaza and i'm chris anderson we'll talk to you later
Hello everyone, it's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets.